Recorded live. I need you, 
page four. Father, and praise you and worship you 
thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, for what you've done, for what you're about to do, for what you're going to do, that you are our Lord, our shepherd, our foundation, the author and the finisher of all things and of our faith. You are in control. You know what you're doing. You are our Lord, our King, our God, our Redeemer, our Protector, our Rock, our Refuge, our Habitation. Praise you and worship you and ask you, Father, to have your way in this sermon, in this service. We pray that you be blessed, that you be honored, that you be glorified. We ask God be also blessed and anoint not only the speaking, but also the hearing and the receiving for your glory, for the edification of the body of Christ, for the benefit of the church and the kingdom of God. Have your way, Father God, let nothing hinder, let nothing get in the way of your will being done. It is in your hands, Father, we turn it over to you. It is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, you're listening to the live services of I Saw the Light Ministries coming to you from eastern Tennessee. We have different people from across the United States and around the world listening, not only over the phone, but over the Internet, and not only live, but also later throughout the day and throughout the week that people tune in, listen in the archives as well. Whether you're listening live or in the archives, we welcome you and we are thankful that you are listening. We're thankful for this opportunity to share his word. What God has put into my mind, into my heart, to share with you today, and I have no doubt, no doubt, that I have received this from the Lord to share with you for your edification. We're going to start in Matthew 24. If you'd like to go ahead and be turning there, we'll start there in a minute here, Matthew 24. And we read from the New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to try to follow along in the King James or whatever translation that you have there. And if you're wondering why we read from New American Standard, I really encourage you to go to the ministry website, I Saw the Light Ministries.com. I Saw the Light Ministries.com. And look at the article, the King James Version, compared to New American Standard Bible. Examine it in prayer and, if necessary, in fasting. Examine the evidence. Examine the scriptures. Test all things. Prove all things. And take all things into prayer. And for the record, today's date in the Roman calendar is February the 20th. 2016 A.D., February 20th, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in God's created calendar, is the 12th day of the 12th month. 
12th day of the 12th month. And today's topic that God gave me is the difference between paranoia and extra caution when needed. The difference between being paranoid and using extra caution as needed. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 42, Matthew 24, verse 42, it says, Therefore, be on the alert. That word therefore means because. In other words, there is a reason. He's been given an outline Jesus has here in this chapter of end-time events, what would occur one by one. And because of these things, therefore, for this reason, be on the alert. So he's saying that there's reason for this, that it's not unreasonable, but rather I have given you reason. Because of these things, therefore, be on the alert. That word alert is really something to think about, what that means. To be alert is to be cautious, is to be awake, to have your eyes wide open, your ears open, your senses sharpened, because there is a danger because there is a threat, because there is real reason to take caution and to take note and to be extra cautious. There is a real reason for it. Because of these things, therefore be on the alert, red alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming But be sure of this. There's things you know and things you don't know. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now, usually you don't know what hour that a thief is going to come, do you? Never, really. So where you normally would have to stay up all night if you thought that was the night or if there was a good possibility or a good reason behind your thinking, a reasonable reasoning. Uh, intelligent reasoning and not just unreasonable or not just paranoid or not just uh, without reason. But if you had a reason to believe that it would happen on that time of night or that particular night of the week, you may have to be up all night or take turns. And in fact, in the scriptures we do know that They designated certain people, only certain people, to take turns 
the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, the fourth watch. Different hours of the night, different hours of the day for different reasons. Rather, it might be watching for the new moon to blow the trumpet or approaching armies or, or so forth. And they hear as talking about the coming of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is not a thief. Amen. He is not a thief. But the devil has come to steal. The devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life, and life more abundantly. Jesus is only pictured in the symbolism of a thief coming at an unknown hour only if you are at threat of being destroyed because that you're not alert, not awake, not obedient, not watchful, not extra cautious, not taking the reasoning seriously. You got all these signs, you got all these events, you got all these things happening in the news, but you're not taking these things seriously. You're not taking these things uh, with Scripture. You're not comparing these things to Scripture. You're not uh, keeping track of time and realizing what day it is, what time it is, what time we're living in. Therefore, Jesus comes as a thief. But to his people, no, he does not come as a thief. To his people who are watching, to his people who know the signs that's written in the scriptures, to those people who do take caution for their soul, for their safety, for the safety of their soul, he does not come as a thief to us. And he does not come unaware to us. We are aware. We are awake. We are alert. He tells us to be alert. He tells us to be awake. The time for the time is near. Amen. To redeem the time. For the days are evil. So he only comes a thief to those who do not take extra caution. We have scriptures that tell us, which teach us, which instruct us, that we need take caution that there is reason for it, that it's reasonable, that we're not being paranoid, that we need to prepare for our salvation, eternal life, judgment day, and for the tribulation itself, that we need to be prepared for the the prayer for these events, for the wrath, for the great tribulation, these things. And continuing in verse 44, for this reason, because of these things, there's a reason. You also must, must be ready. Amen. Praise God. For the Son of Man is coming at our when you do not think. When you, those are unprepared. But he does not come as a thief to those that are watching. Now, verse 45, but then, who then, it says, verse 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave? Sensible 
who see danger coming, he hides himself. The prudent man who sees danger hides himself, the Bible says. Those who prepare extra oil in their lamps, those who prepare supplies for the tribulation, those that are sensible for a good reason. Faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. There's a lot of people like that right now. And again, is to be his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. But the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. The warning here is to the nonsensical. The warning here is to those that think that Jesus is coming a hundred years away from them, 50 years away from them, 30 years away from them. They're not sensible. Even 10 years away from now is not sensible because we see what is happening in the news now. We have reason to take extra caution right now, rightfully, in the right manner, in the right ways. But also, not out of a wrong spirit of fear, a person can take this too far, which I'll go into a little bit more here in a few minutes, God will. But the warning here is to the unfaithful, to those that would just live uh, in sin just because there's still time. And there's people like that that just because there's still time, well, then I can party it up now. That's not sensible. And then if you look at, uh, let's just continue to finish out the chapter here so we don't leave out any verses. Verse 50 the master of that slave will come in a day when he does not expect him in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place of the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. But when the foolish took their lamps. They took no oil with them. That's not sensible. But the prudent or the wise took oil in flasks along with their lamps. And now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all, both the wise and the prudent, both, all of them, got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, a certain hour, and you know what time midnight comes every night at the same time. You can see it coming. You can see it approaching. You can see the clock. 
uh, or hear the clock going tick-tock, tick-tock, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour. You know what hour that is coming if you know how to tell time, if you know the signs of the season. But to those that are sleeping, you are called unprepared. And you may not know that it's approaching midnight. And you could be asleep for eight hours and seem like it was one minute. To those that are sleeping, that predetermined time, you, you are called unaware if you are sleeping. Even if you're in the church, there are people, this is church people. These are virgins. Even the wise ones fell asleep. Even the wise ones, even the disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ in the garden on the very night that they come and arrested Jesus, he even asked them repeatedly, stay up with me, stay awake, stay alert, and stay prayerful. For this is the time that is needed to be awake. He urged and pleaded with his disciples, and they could not stay awake. Even in the true body of Christ, there is a sleepiness and a lack of awareness of what time it is that they are coming to arrest us, that there is a threat, and that threat is real, and that there is a real reason to be on the alert, to be on red alert. Real reason. There's a difference between being unreasonably paranoid and taking extra caution and being on the alert. What is that difference? But at midnight, there was a shout, a wake-up call, an alarm, a trumpet. Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. That's a glorious wake-up call. That's a glorious call. Amen. Then all those versions arose, both the foolish and the wise, and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Reminds me of Noah's ark. And later the other versions also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. So be only alert for you do not know the day and the hour. The wise knew the hour was coming. Even though they would be found sleeping to a certain extent, they were still still uh, aware that they needed to get ready. Maybe this sleepiness on the, the wise virgin's part, maybe that sleepiness was a peaceful sleep. Maybe it was because they could sleep in the ship even in the midst of a storm. Remember, 
when Jesus was down in the hub of the ship in the midst of the storm and he was sleeping that all the other people on the boat was terrified, scared. And they woke him up. So maybe there is a peaceful sleep. But as long as that we did what we needed to do before we went to sleep. They already had the oil together. They already had their supplies together. They didn't have to fret. They didn't have to fret if Jesus was coming while they were asleep because they've already taken care of their souls. They've already taken care of their supplies. They've already taken care of their lamps and their oil. They got everything ready and prepared. So when that day came, they was ready. So they, they were sheep in a field laying down in green pastures, trusting in their shepherds that it was going to be okay, that he was overlooking them while, he's, while, they, while they are asleep, that they have a good shepherd watching over them by night and by day, that the plague is not going to come near their tent, that regardless of the storm and regardless of the times and regardless of the situation, regardless of a real threat, that it's okay. It's all right. We can lay down and rest. God is in control. But now the foolish, their sleep was for a different reason. They had not gotten ready. They had not prepared. They did not think it was urgent. They didn't think there was reason to have extra oil. Amen. Notice Jesus gives this parable exactly after he talked about those that thought the time wasn't yet, that the master has delayed his coming, therefore they start to eat and drink with the drunkards. See, in the original scriptures, there was no chapter divisions between chapter 24 and 25 or any chapter in the original scriptures. So the two parables go together. The context is the same. That the foolish people who were sleeping is because they didn't see a need to get ready. And they didn't get ready before they laid down at night. They laid down at night unprepared for the thief. In this case, Jesus does come as a thief only to those who are unprepared, who do not take caution. So we do need to take caution. We do need to know what time it is. We do need to prepare even as Noah prepared, even as Joseph prepared, even as the wise virgins prepared. We see the hour coming. It is coming. It is as sure as there's going to be a midnight tonight. He is coming. And the time is short. And now is the time to get ready. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now is the time to get ready. In our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our lives, 
we got to receive that anointing oil. We got to receive that anointing, that oil in our lamps. We got to receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, glorified. We got to get our lives right so that we can lay down in peace at night. Amen. Now, going back to chapter 24, verse 42 and 43. Now, they, the wise virgins, did not have to stay up all night because Jesus wasn't coming as a thief to them. They were ready. But now there's foolish virgins. They They should have stayed up all night. Those foolish versions should have stayed up all night because they were not ready. They should have stayed up all night getting ready. If we are not ready yet, then we've got to stay up all night getting ready. Amen. If we are not ready yet for the coming of the Lord or for the tribulation, then if it takes up staying up all night, praying all night, fasting, praying, crying, screaming, yelling to the Lord, pouring off, pouring our hearts out to him, pleading with him and getting right with him and getting things settled with him, then that's what we need to do if we are not ready yet. Amen. So that we will not be called unprepared. Now I'm going to give you some other scriptures. But let me give you some examples. I just gave you some example of why it's reasonable and right and good to take extra caution. Noah and Joseph and the wise virgins And I'll just say briefly, and this is not meant to be an attack or a war against anybody, but I say this because it's fact and because it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I have a ministry building here. God has given us, God has anointed, God has blessed, God has ordained this ministry building as basically a, a headquarters for I Saw the Light Ministries, an international, worldwide ministry. We need a building. And God has provided that building. And people contact me from all over the world, especially from uh, South Africa, and Australia, and the Philippines, Nigeria, and other nations as well. I hear from a lot of people. And it is necessary to put people's phone numbers and addresses, names, so forth, into uh, files to keep track. If I don't keep track of people, I'll be just pretty much unprepared, unorganized, and not knowing who I'm talking to or what I'm talking about. I have to have things written down 
I have to keep records so I know what's what. Keep track of all the communication. But all this is in private. These are private records. This information, emails and addresses and phone numbers and names and sins and contacts and questions and answers and conversations are all done in the privacy of pastor and lay member, pastor and brother, whatever that you want to call it. There has to be a privacy. And this is for several reasons, including legal reasons and uh, uh, pastor and lay member relationship, a, a, a trust relationship. People need to know that they can trust me to not give out their information. And we do share with the congregation, both locally and over the Internet and over the phone and over the emails, can you please pray for a certain person? And we even send out cards encouraging one another, encouraging people, lifting them up in prayer, letting them know that we are keeping them in prayer, that we are remembering your needs and your situation, that we do love you and we're reaching out to you. We do send out cards to people. But I'm not going to give out the address to the whole congregation or the phone number to the whole congregation. And especially after that person has decided to move on, that they no longer want to be part of this ministry or to be contacted or to be emailed or written or called, that they start ignoring all of our communication and cut off ties with us, then who am I to harass you or to continue to call you and write you after you've made it clear? that you don't want nothing to do with us, then who am I to take your address and give it to anyone, even if they ask for it? No, absolutely not. Because once you cut off ties with this ministry, you have chosen to cut off ties with this ministry. And everything that you've ever said to me, your phone number, your address, your email, everything is now locked to where it's not even available to those that even ask. Even though they may be asking out of love, not out of harassment, not out of harm, they may be asking out of love what is the information where I can contact them and let them know that we still love them and still praying for them. No, I'm not releasing that information because I have a responsibility as a pastor as the leader, as the administrator of this ministry, that I have to be rightfully concerned about legal issues and privacy issues. And after, after a person has cut off communication with this ministry, I have reason to be cautious, to be cautious. Because people in this day and this time, they will sue you at a drop of a hat, for anything. And people will bring false accusations against you. And we see that in this ministry. 
false accusations being thrown at this ministry constantly. This ministry is under attack constantly. Violent attack constantly. And I have to be honest with you. I look out the windows sometimes at the cars passing by, passing by, and walk people walking by, and I wonder, are they here to do harm? Because it's a reasonable fear. Because I know through my years of experience how people are, how wicked the world is, what's going on out there, and how much people hate this ministry, how much people hate me, how much people hate God and his truth and his word and his revelation. So it's actually reasonable, reasonable for me to be watchful and alert and looking out the window and taking extra caution when cars are looking and sitting there and parked there and it's like, what are they doing? There's a reason to take extra caution. That's not being paranoid. But it can become paranoid very easy, very, very, very easily. It's a very fine line. It's hard sometimes to not cross that line. I believe and I know I have crossed that line. I believe we all have. I believe that we all struggle with keeping the right balance between reasonable and righteous and justful extra caution and paranoia, being paranoid. I know I have crossed that line recently, and we all do if we will examine ourselves and be honest with ourselves. It's an easy line to cross, extremely easy. I believe it's a major problem in the church, a major problem that we all need to examine ourselves about when we are becoming paranoid. I give you the definition of paranoid. It's a Greek word, and the Greek word actually means madness, but it actually means in our English uh, usage of it in our modern times, paranoid means a baseless or excessive suspicion of the motives of others. Now, I didn't know that. But it's all, the word paranoid is all about the motives of other people. It is the baseless or the excessive suspicion of the motives of other people. Amen. So it can be a baseless suspicion of the motive of other people. There may be no reason at all. It may be unrealistic and uh, unrighteous, no reason, suspicion of a motive of other people. Or it can be an excessive suspicion, meaning that there is reason, but that we're going overboard in our suspicion. There may be reason sometimes to take caution, such as somebody in the parking lot. There may be reason, but we can go overboard. We can get excessive 
and and take on a wrong amount of fear or a wrong reaction to that fear. Even though there is reason, we become excessive in our reaction to it. And that's when it crosses the line to paranoia. Some examples of paranoia and another thing that I'm guilty of myself is when I go to the dentist and I think a lot of people have this problem and you may not think of it as paranoia and it's not really about motive in this particular case so it doesn't always have to be about motive. I know that the dentist is not out to hurt me but I'm still shaking, still shaking like a leaf because I don't know. You know, I think I have to examine myself in that. I think that it's good for us, all of us, to take time to examine ourselves. Why am I fearful of this? Why am I fearful of that? Is this a fear with reason or without reason? And if it is with reason, am I being excessive in my reaction, even though I may have reason to take caution? Am I being excessive in my reaction? Good thing to examine ourselves with. We become a little bit paranoid when the police gets behind us. But if we are lawful people, if we're not speeding, if we're not drinking and driving, if we're not doing drugs, if we're not breaking the law, if we're not wicked people, then we have no reason to get nervous when the police is behind us. No reason at all. No reason. So we need in that case to have the peace of Christ, to have peace in our hearts, to have peace in our mind. And we need to be delivered of that unrighteous and unbaseless fear. But I'll tell you an example of paranoia in the church that is not truly basis, is not truly based on reality. And it's a major problem in the church today because many, many, many people in the church today and not only in the church but religious people that think they are saved as well as the saved is these conspiracy theories of Jade Helm. And immediately people start jumping to defense right now in a second, already defending themselves. Jade Helm is paranoia? Yes, 100%. It was just a military exercise. And they have military exercises all the time. And they give them names all the time of these exercises. It was a reasonable exercise. It was needed. Texas was not invaded. The Walmarts did not become concentration camps. That was such a ridiculous, 
insane, unreasonable, paranoia conspiracy theory. If you have not yet come to that conclusion, if you have not yet confessed that it was an unreasonable paranoia conspiracy theory, then you've got to start examining yourself because it was an unreasonable paranoia conspiracy theory. I mean, that's already done and over with. It's gone. And people are still saying that it was a uh, whatever. It was nothing. It was nothing. Get over it. Get over your paranoia based on Internet false prophets. These false prophets on the Internet, I could list a million, exaggerating, but I could list quite a few false prophets on the Internet that constantly, well, I would name one because very important, you know, to stay away from him, and that's Steve Quayle. And don't be going looking up Steve Quayle's website when I'm telling you to stay away from him. Immediately when I tell people, stay away from such and such, they go look up their website. I'm telling you, he's a dangerous man. But Steve Quayle is constantly, 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 every day posting several conspiracy theories that he's saying within the next 24 hours, within the next three days, within the next seven days, but before this date, before that date, constantly on a daily and weekly basis that this is the invasion. This is the concentration camps. Today they're going to come around you. Today they're going to arrest you. This week, this month, they're going to come and arrest all the Christians and take away all the guns. And it never happens. Never happens. Because he is truly one of those people that people call fear mongers. I've been called a fear monger many times because I declare the prophecies that are written in the Bible and the things that God has shown me and things that have come to pass and things that will come to pass. That's a false accusation against me. But Steve Quayle is one of those true fear mongers that nothing is ever fulfilled and it's a constant basis of these false prophecies. Stir people up to get you to believe that they're coming to round you up, take all your guns and everything else and invade Texas and turn the Walmarts into concentration camps. It's foolishness. It's insanity. It's paranoia. It's schizophrenia. And the church and the religious people that think they are saved need to be healed of this madness, of this paranoia. The church needs to be healed of this mental illness. And stop listening to people like Steve Quayle and the others that is causing all this paranoia. Same thing with Planet X. Planet X, Planet X, Nebula. Every year after year after year after year after year after year after year, 
They're saying it's going to hit the earth. It's going to destroy the earth. It's going to tear the earth apart. Uh, it never happened. Never happened. No such thing. No such thing as Planet X. No such thing as Nebula. The things that are going to hit the earth is going to come out of heaven. It says so in the Bible. The things that are going to fall out of the sky and fall into the oceans and turn the oceans and the seas into blood. An asteroid, a comet, a piece of a rock, a piece of a planet does not turn the waters into blood. The things that fall into the oceans will have nothing to do with some stray giant planet. The things that fall into the oceans and turn the oceans into blood are coming from the throne of God according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, it's not coming from outer space. It's coming from the throne of God being cast down to the earth. It tells you exactly where it's coming from. So stop believing the conspiracy theory. Now, I understand that the government is wicked. I understand about the Illuminati and the Freemasons and what they're doing behind the scenes. Now, I understand we've got to be aware of those things. But neither will I believe the lies and the exaggerations and the true conspiracy theories. There's a difference between the truth about the wickedness, the truth about what is actually going on, what they're actually planning, what they're actually trying. That's different. The truth is the truth. But then there are conspiracy theories that are nothing more than foolish, irrational, unreasonable madness, insanity, lack of discernment, lack of wisdom. Amen. These concentration camps. I know, I understand that they're building concentration camps. That's a real thing. But we must understand, it is not our government that is going to be coming and rounding up every Christian or every person on the red list. This is not happening today. This is not happening tomorrow. This is not happening this week. This is not happening this month that they're going to come and round up the Christian or come and round up everybody with a gun. That's just irrational fear. The truth about these concentration camps is that there are people in plants within the government, within the military, within the CIA, within the government that are building these concentration camps so that when the Russian and Chinese armies do invade America, as the Bible tells us is going to happen, that then those Russian and Chinese communist and Islamic armies will round people up, as they do in every war. When a nation invades another nation, they always round up prisoners of war and put people in camps. That is war. That is a realistic thing. It's not irrational. It's not conspiracy. It happens in war that they round people up after the invasion. I understand how wicked Obama is. I fully am fully aware and awake and alert 
to how wicked Obama is and the wicked generation we live in. The Freemasons, the Illuminati, all of that. I'm fully aware of all that. But the Holy Spirit, amen, makes all the difference in the world. Holy Spirit discernment, knowing the Scriptures, knowing that the Scriptures do not warn us of our own government. The Scriptures do not describe our own government locking us up, but rather it describes the God-Magog war of Ezekiel 38. It describes the Russians, the Chinese, the Syrians, the Iranians coming into our nation and them rounding us up. So those Russians and those Syrians, those Chinese, they got implants here. We've known about them for decades. That's not really a secret. They've got implants here in the Muslims. They've got implants here that are getting these places ready. But we don't need to fear that Obama's going to sign that order today for us to be rounded up. Discernment. What is reasonable? What is real? We need to pray that we have the right balance. That God leadeth us to know the difference. That we don't live in paranoia. That we don't fall for the false conspiracy theories. That we do believe the truth, but that we don't get carried away with the false foolishness and conspiracy theories. We need to know the difference. How do we do that? Maturity in the Lord. We need to pray earnestly. Stay up all night if you have to to gain it, to receive it from the Lord. Urging the Lord, asking the Lord, pleading with the Lord to give us that right balance, that wisdom, wisdom, Wisdom is key. Discernment is key. Knowledge of the scriptures is key. Hearing the voice of God is key. Amen. And these make all the difference in the world. Even about this judge of the Supreme Court that just died. Everybody hollering and screaming that they killed him. I don't believe it. I see no reason for it. Yes, I know there was no autopsy. People die every day with no autopsy. Important people, rich people, government people die every day with no autopsy. It was the family decision. I don't blame them. I don't blame the family for no autopsy. He was an overweight, heavy, old man. I don't believe he was murdered. We just have a tendency in this generation, those that are aware of the Illuminati, of the so-called New World Order, that because they become aware of a threat, a real threat of the so-called World Order, that people go, Overboard. Sometimes there may be a real threat, a reason to take extra caution, that people go excessive 
in their reaction and in their imaginations. And we've got to stop that. We've got to stop it. Because the church, I have to be honest with you, the church looks foolish. The church looks foolish. Matthew 25, verse 2. Five of them were foolish. That is the state that the church is in today. i got to be honest with you that if Obama government was to round up every Christian, I couldn't blame them because the church that I see on the Internet and on Facebook and a lot of people that I talk to, i just be brutally honest with you because people need to hear it. It seems like to me that the church is filled with a mental illness of paranoia, schizophrenia, and they need to be locked up. I think that has to be heard and said. Because sometimes we need somebody to just grab us and tell us, wake up. Get straightened up. If I tell people this all the time, and it's so true. If Jesus was to come back today, which we know he won't according to Scripture, because there must be 1,260 days of great tribulation before he comes back. You must have all seven seals whooping up before he comes back. You must have all seven trumpets to blow before he comes back. That is scripture. Amen. But if Jesus was to come back today, nobody would go. No one. He would have to return empty-handed. I would not even go. I have to be honest with you. Nobody would go. Because the Bible says that when he comes back, that he is coming for a church without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. But when I look at the church today, the only thing I do see is a church completely smothered in wrinkles, spots, and blemishes. And that is why we need the great tribulation. Amen. We need the great tribulation. Everybody wants to escape it. Everybody wants to be raptured out. But that's the worst thing that could happen to us is for Jesus to come today. The worst thing that could happen to us is Jesus to come today is because we would be found unfaithful and foolish Amen. I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about the church of God. We need a purification. We need the great tribulation. We need trial. We need the invasion to come. We need concentration camps. We need to be locked up. Because, as the Bible says, that 
righteousness will come when your judgment is in the land. When his judgment is in the land. Because right now, people are going about carelessly, carelessly, in foolishness, conspiracy theories, and all kinds of foolishness, false doctrine, sins, so forth. And people are not repenting. By the majority, people are not repenting. And even in the most holy, there is still sin. Even in even in the most holy, most righteous, most truth-accepting people, there is still a lot of Babylon in us. False doctrines, traditions of man that we still won't let go of. We need the purifying fires of the great tribulation to come and wake us up, shake us, get us stirred up, and cause us to repent. Cause us to fall on our knees and cry out to God and fully surrender to Him. Fully surrender to Him. And no longer keep a foot in the door to the world and its ways. Amen. And if we have true repentance, then we don't have to shrink back when he comes. If we have true repentance and truly have his spirit and truly are walking in his spirit day and night, truly have his word in us in great measure, if we are truly mature in him, then we'll be ready. Amen. It's not enough just to believe. I have people tell me all the time, all you got to do is believe. That's foolishness. The devils believe and tremble. The scriptures say that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in. Many of them were saying that day, have we not prophesied in your name? That sounds like Steve Quell, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, so on, so on, so on. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not laid hands on the sick and they recovered? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? These people believe. But Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity, meaning you workers of sin. You still got sin in your life. These are people that's in Matthew 7. And those are people that believed. In Jesus Christ, as their Lord, as their Savior, they went to church, they were ministers, they were pastors, they were prophets. They cast out devils, they healed the sick in Jesus' name. They believed, but that was not enough. They still had sin in their lives. They got to get rid of sin. All of them. 
for the book of 1 John or 2 John, something like that, 3 John says that those that are born of God do not sin and it is impossible for them to sin because they are born of God. Are you there yet? No. Am I there yet? No. But we've got to get there. We've got to get there. So we've got to get a passion for getting there. We've got to get a passion for getting the right balance, for using wisdom, for using discernment. We need to covet the best gifts. And I tell you, the best gift of the end time is not prophecy, tongues or anything like that. I understand Paul said the best gift was prophecy. He was speaking at that day and that time, and it is a wonderful gift even for this time. But I tell you, a gift even greater than prophecy. I tell you, a gift even, even greater than tongues. I tell you, a gift even greater than casting out devils and healing the sick. And that is the gift of wisdom and discernment. These are the gifts that we need in the end time. It's the gift of discernment and a gift of wisdom. I believe that those two gifts are the most lacking. We've got enough prophecy. We've got too much prophecy. What we need, the covenant in this life, in this time, in this generation, is wisdom and discernment and repentance above all else. Let this be our plead tonight. Let this be our plead in our next fast. Let this be our plead in our life and our passion in life is to gain discernment and wisdom and repentance in ourselves that we will be found awake, alert, watchful, and with the right balance. Amen. Let's just go over a couple other scriptures real quick. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 is a great chapter to read when you find yourself fearful, when you find yourself uh, going over the line or about to go over the line to paranoia. Philippians 4 is a very good one to bring us back into the sound mind. Philippians 4, which is after Ephesians, right before Colossians and Thessalonians. Philippians 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We need to rejoice. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. There is so much negativism in the world, and we've got to be alert. We don't need to bury our head in the sand. But we also need peace. And joy. We need so much of the Spirit of God that regardless of the storm, regardless of serious threats, regardless of reality, regardless of what is actually truly going on, regardless of good reasoning to be alert, that we can be alert and still have joy and peace and contentment. Joy in the midst of great tribulation. 
That only comes from a good measure of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I'm going to read you the study note in my study Bible on the word gentle spirit there. It says that uh, it can even refer to patience in someone who submits to injustice or mistreatment without retaliating. A gentle spirit can be uh, characterized or manifested in many different ways, but it can include, can refer to patience in someone who submits to injustice or mistreatment without retaliation. That if somebody does this wrong, now, it's all right to defend ourselves in court. That's okay. It's all right to defend ourselves with the Word of God. But we will not take retaliation. We will not take revenge. Amen. Therefore, we have a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit will not take revenge. It won't. It will not. If you have a gentle spirit about you, that is opposite of a revengeful spirit. Now it says here in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, which that's a little bit of a poor translation, because you don't want to take that verse and say, well, I don't need a budget. I don't need to plan. I don't need to uh, plan ahead. And I've heard people take the verses in Matthew and this verse and twist them, and they're homeless because of that, that they think we should not plan for tomorrow. That's twisting what it really means. What it really means is don't be overly anxious is the way it should be translated. Don't be overly anxious. Do not be excessively anxious. Do not be paranoid, basically, for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I'll read you the footnote about where it says thanksgiving. It says gratitude. <laughs> Praise God, Lisa. Lisa knows that God has been showing her and me the lack of gratitude in the world right now. The lack of gratitude in the church the lack of gratitude in those people who think they are saved, the lack of gratitude throughout this generation, the lack of gratitude in this nation in this time right now is a major problem in the church. Major problem. The lack of gratitude. So I say that's another good gift or a good characteristic and I believe it can be a gift as well that we need to covet and strive for and ask for and seek as a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of being thankful for people, for one another, for what God has given you, but not only for material things, but for spiritual understanding, for spiritual gifts, for spiritual discernment, for spiritual whatever that God has given you, the things that God has done for you. Ancient prayer. God answers prayer 
And a week later, people don't even think about it. When God answers a prayer, we need to be thankful. We need to be grateful. We need to write it down. We need to testify about it. We need to witness about it. We need to share about it. We need to spread the good news about it, that God heard my prayers. Now, that shows gratitude. Somebody does something good for you, do you keep it to yourself? Or do you tell somebody, guess what somebody did for me? I think real gratitude has to be expressed. I think real gratitude, real thanksgiving, must be verbalized. Amen. And with that gratitude and with that thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You don't want to come to God in a uh, Martha attitude, in a... uh, attitude, he's doing your own, he's oppressing you, this and that, this and that, negative attitude. You don't want to approach God with a negative attitude. That's a major problem as well. We need to approach God with a heart of gratitude. That's the first thing we do in every prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. That's how you start your prayer, every prayer. As you start your prayer in praise, in worship, in thanksgiving, then you transition to your requests, making your requests known to him. Your requests be known to God in thanksgiving. Your requests and your prayers should be wrapped, enveloped in thanksgiving. Amen. both before and after your request, a praise to God, a worship of God. You wrap your requests in gratitude, worship, and praise to God. Amen. Verse 7, and the peace of God, amen, overwhelming peace, overwhelming, overflowing peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Have you ever felt that kind of peace? Have you? I have. And it is so wonderful. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. That means to get a a kind of peace and a measure of peace that blows your mind. Have you ever been so peaceful that it just blew your mind how much at peace you are? You need that. We need that kind of peace. And when you have that kind of peace, wow, wow, nothing can touch you. It's a force field around you that even though people are shouting at you and falsely accusing you and throwing darts at you and fiery darts with you uh, against you and accusations against you, and regardless of the storm and regardless of the hurricane, regardless of the tornado, guess what? I have the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension is an amazing peace. How do you gain that? How do you receive that? Through worship. Through worship. Through praise. Because 
the scriptures say that he inhabits the praises of his people. When you hug someone, they hug you back. When you are worshiping and praising God, he comes to you. He dwells in you and with you closer and more because you're loving on him. He hugs you back. He dwells with you. If you are living a lifestyle of thanksgiving, if you are living a lifestyle of being grateful for every little thing, every little thing, every little thing, thank you, God, for this drink. Thank you, God, for this sandwich. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for this letter. Thank you, God, for this bag of groceries. Thank you, God, for this money. Thank you, God, for this job. Thank you, God, for this person. Thank you, God, for that person's smile toward me. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. If we live a a life of prayer, walking in prayer, praying without ceasing, always praying to him, always thanking him, always communicating to him, living with him, walking in the Spirit, praising and worshiping him, walking in praise, walking down the street with your hands raised high, walking to the mailbox with your hands raised high. How can we not do that as good as he's been to us? Am I embarrassed to worship the Lord? Am I ashamed of him? I tell you, I have just got to put my hands up to the sky sometimes because I know he's there. Because I know he's there. Because I know he sees me. How can I not worship him right there, right then, right there, right here, right now? How can I not worship him right here, right now? How can I not fall to my knees right now? How can I not? How can I not worship him with my face to the ground, my forehead to the ground, every day, every night, every morning? How can I not? He's been so good to us. He's been so good to me. How can I not pour myself out to him? How can I not worship him every day, every morning, every night, and throughout the day? How can I not talk to him? How can I ignore him for one hour? How can I go without saying a word to him for an hour? How can I ignore my father that lives with me? How can I ignore him? Amen. How much do you love God? How much do you live with God? How much does he live with you? Amen. What has God done for you? Write it down. What God has done for you. Keep writing it down. There are books that need to be written. Amen. There are books that need to be written that the world cannot even fit them all. He's been so good to us. Let us witness and testify even as Mark did even as Luke did, even as John did, even as Paul did, even as Peter did, they said, I have to write it. I have to explain it. I have to share it. I've got to testify. We overcome the devil not only by the blood, but by the word of our testimonies. How can we hold it in? How can we not speak it? How can we not write it? I've got to speak it. I've got to write it. I've got to share it. I've got to get it out there to more people. Amen. How can I not? Write it and testify and send it out to the world. Amen. How can I not? What more can I do for my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my God? What more can I do? Amen. Praise God. I rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, blow your mind, but guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God with us. Even his name is God with us. God present. Not God absent. Not God a million miles away. But God present. God here. God now. God with us is what his name means. God with us. He is now. He is here. He is present. Amen. He is eternal. Amen. Amen. He is not only God of yesterday and tomorrow, but he is God of today. And he is with me right here, right now. So how can I not worship him, praise him, talk to him, and be thankful and be full of peace, regardless of anything I see or hear? Regardless if they come and round everybody up, I don't care if they round me up, because I still have the peace of God. Why should I fear what evil may do unto me? Though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil. For I rise and I staff. They comfort me. I know that you're watching me. I know that you are my you are my shepherd. I know that you're watching after me. I can lay down in the grass. I can lay down in the grass and eat the grass while I'm there. Right beside the, the still, calm, beautiful, calming, wonderful, crystal clear, pure. A creek that is running through the pasture. I'm okay. I'm all right. The plague will not come near my tent. I believe in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. Let them come. Let them shoot. Let them behead. Oh, well. I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall not be mother. Amen. Getting a made up mind to serve the Lord. Getting a made up mind to trust God that whatever happens for the good or for the bad, it's still going to be for the good, for all things work out for the good, for those that love God and for those that are called according to His purpose. He is in control. He is God, Almighty, King, Lord, Savior, Foundation, Refuge, Rock, my shelter. Amen. Now this don't mean that we should not take caution. This does not mean that we should not use wisdom. We do need to use wisdom. We do need to be on the alert. We do need to take proper caution. Amen. Praise God. The right balance. We must have the right balance. And that comes by living in him and him in us. He will lead us and direct us in the right balance. Amen. Praise God. I encourage you to... Check out the warfare list on the website, isawthelightministries.com, isawthelightministries.com, slash warfare, 
.html. That's slash warfare .html. And that's a list of decorations that you can say over yourself. Lay your head on your forehead and say these sentences that's in that article there, such as, I am saved, I am redeemed, so on, so on. To reaffirm to yourself who you are in God. Because, see, Babylon has taught us that we're nothing. Babylon has taught you, you should stand up in church and say, I'm not worthy, I'm nothing, I'm trash. But the Bible says opposite. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. The Bible says you are the elect. The Bible says that you are the ambassador of the kingdom of God. The Bible says you are a king and queen. You are a king and priest in the kingdom of God. You are somebody. Stop letting Babylon teach you to say you're nothing. The Bible says that we are to pray that we be found worthy. We should not say we're not worthy, but rather we should pray that we be found worthy. We need, we need to become worthy people. We need to become the bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, the bride that has prepared herself. We want to be a worthy bride. Amen. A bride of wisdom. A bride of discernment. I'll give you, before we hang up here, another example of paranoia in today's generation. A lot of people, when they come to churches, are people afraid to even shake hands anymore? Especially men. Men now in the church system are afraid to even go to church. Some people won't even go to church because of the shaking of hands. I'm serious. Some people won't even come to services because they're afraid that some man might shake his hand because that he wants to be gay with him. Paranoia. Paranoia. And a lot of men are paranoia over homosexuality. I understand homosexuality is a sin, is an abomination to God. And we should not condone homosexuality. We should not accept it in the congregation. If a homosexual wants to come and learn, we will embrace them 100%. If they want to come, serve God, worship God, and learn the truth and repent of their sins, confess their sins, repent of their sins, we will embrace them and help them to overcome and be delivered. But, we will not condone the sin of homosexuality. But it, it is paranoia when the men are so scared to even shake hands and uh, men are afraid to hug one another. They're being overly excessive caution, even though there is a real threat of homosexuality. There's a real threat. But it's an excessive reaction to that threat to where they think every man that hugs them is out to give them. Excessive reaction to a possible real threat, which is not a real threat at that time. 
It may be a real threat at certain times, but it's not a real threat at that time. That is that is an example of paranoia that is very extremely common in the church today. I'm a very touchy person myself. I love to receive uh, a back uh, pat, somebody to pat me on the back. I love that because it encourages me. It shows me love. When another man pats me on the back or when another man hugs me, it makes me feel so good in the spirit of God. It helps me to feel love, righteous love, clean, pure love. Nothing wrong with it. And because I like to receive love, I like to give love. Righteous, brotherly love. To pat pat another man on his back or to hug him. But in today's society, it is extremely hard anymore to find any man to hug at services that doesn't misinterpret your intentions. Almost impossible. It's insanity. It's madness. It's paranoia. Addressing issues that are real in the church today that need to be addressed so that we can overcome, so that we can improve. So that we can grow in discernment, grow in wisdom, grow in love, grow in the will of God, grow in brotherly and sisterly love as family. Amen. Praise God. Let's read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, book of 2 Timothy. Over there to the right, just a few pages after Thessalonians, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse... um, starting in verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God. Paul, talking to Timothy in this letter, he's, he's reaching out to Timothy in love, and he's reaching out in the spirit of gratitude. I thank God. Now, my beloved son, Timothy, oh, I'm reading a different verse now. I'm going back to verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. We need to be constantly praying night and day without ceasing. Verse 4, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, because I remind you to kindle afresh, to stir up the gift of God, 
which is in you, to the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of uh, Timothy, of uh, fear, King James says, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of and of love, and of discipline, or King James says, a sound mind. You see, an irrational fear, a paranoia, is irrational. It is not discipline. It is not a sound mind. Paranoia is a madness. Paranoia is irrationality. Paranoia is the opposite of sound mind and of a disciplined mind. We need a disciplined mind. God has not given us the spirit of timidity. I can't pronounce that. Overlook me. Spirit of fear. But of power. It is a powerful thing to have peace. It is a powerful thing to have love. It is a powerful thing to have a disciplined mind. God has given us power. We've got power to conquer all the fiery darts of the wicked. We've got power to cast down imaginations. We need to cast down imagination. We need to cast down paranoia, strongholds of paranoia, strongholds of wrongful fear or excessive reaction to a righteous fear. We need to cast these things down. God has given us power cast these things down. God has given us power to live in love and in peace and with a sound mind, a disciplined mind, opposite of irrational, opposite of wrongful fear. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I won't read it right now, but I'll give you a chapter to read for your homework. If if you ever find yourself in a wrongful fear, especially in time of trouble, you may want to read Psalm 27, because that is a really good place to read in a time of trouble, Psalm 27 and other books of songs in the whole Bible. If there's anybody listening to me that has not read the entire Bible yet, I plead with you, I ask you, I urge you, I beg you, to make a commitment today that you're going to start reading the Bible on a daily basis and read it every day, an average of three chapters a day until you've read the whole Bible. Some days you might only read one chapter, two chapters, three chapters, four, five, six chapters, whatever. But an average of three chapters a day until you've read the whole Bible. I'm asking that you commit to that today, to start doing that, to read the whole Bible. We need it. And we need every person in the church to have read the whole Bible. What is the church if we've not read the Bible? It is a powerful tool against the devil. If we want to defeat the devil, we've got to read the Bible. It is a sharp two-edged sword. We need our sword in this fight we're in. We're in a fight. We're in a war, and it's a real war. We better fight. We better fight. We better use what God has given us, this word of God. 
And if you make that commitment today that you are going to read the whole Bible and you're going to start today, the average of three chapters every day, then I ask you to email me, text me, phone number, go on the website, go to the contact form, however you can reach me, and just let me know that you're making this commitment because that will encourage me and because it will help you to keep your commitment to God, to have an accountability partner, to have somebody that's praying for you, that knows that you have this goal, and you're stating, son, I've made this commitment. You're making, you're stating that commitment. You're making it known to another person. Then you're more likely to stick to it. Amen. So I ask you to make that commitment to God first, to yourself and to God. Then share that with me so that that will help you to fulfill your commitment to God and to yourself to read the scriptures, all the scriptures, you'll be amazed how much spiritual growth that you will obtain through reading the entire uh, book of the scriptures. I will share a testimony before we hang up is that I'm going to be baptizing somebody later this afternoon, this evening. Be baptizing a young man. Uh, Sometimes we do this over the air and sometimes we don't. We're not going to be doing this over the air this time. Uh, only because uh, of the time of day and that we're going to be baptized and so forth. But uh, So uh, we appreciate your prayers for the baptism for later this afternoon, this evening. And I will be baptizing that young man over the phone. And uh, if you look through the archives, I don't know what date or how long ago it was. I guess it was December the 12th, right? Yeah. If you look in the archives for December the 12th, you will find uh, where we baptized four people that day over the phone, over the Internet, and it's, it's recorded it's in the archives. And that sermon before that, uh, on that same day, that sermon uh, that I gave just before the baptisms will help clarify and explain from the Scriptures why we can baptize over the phone. We can. As long as the person has an a, a, a amount of water, swimming pool, bathtub, whatever, if they have a big enough bathtub or if they have a swimming pool, if they have some water that they can get in to get completely submerged, they have to be completely submerged. As long as they can do that, find some water to do that with, then... I can baptize them over the phone because all I have to do is say the word. The centurion said to Jesus that I know that all you have to do is say the word and it will be done. Amen. We've got to be a people of faith, a people of faith, a people of power, a people of authority. Nothing is impossible with us. We should do uh, the same miracles Jesus did and even greater works than that shall we do. If we are people of power, people of faith, people of authority in the kingdom of God upon this earth now. Yes. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for everybody that usually listens and for our new listeners as well. We're here on this broadcast live every Saturday 
at 12 noon Eastern time, every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern time. But if you can't listen live, it's also automatically saved in the archives as well. Uh, and the main ministry website is isolalightministries.com. This is Pastor Tim. And uh, I encourage you to check out uh, the articles on the website. There's over 100 articles there. Also, if you don't have a copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible yet, which is a translation that God gave me of Genesis and Exodus and Michael, John, and Revelation, out of the Greek, Cetudian, Greek manuscripts, translation, where God gave me the knowledge of how to translate it. If you don't have a copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible yet, I encourage you to go to the website, learn about it, and request your free copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible. It's very important for every end-time Christian to have a copy of that. It will really help you. We love you very much. Thank you for your prayers. And until next time, may God bless you in amazing ways. All of this in Jesus' name. Also, if you live locally in East Tennessee, you're welcome to come here in person and we start the services in person at 11.30 in the morning. We start the broadcast at 12 noon, but in person the services start at 11.30. You're welcome to come, walk through the door, and come be with us to come and know Jesus more as your Lord and your Savior in your life. Today, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. All this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.